you want more followers. That's selfish. Reverse it. Figure out what are the thousand followers that you have? What can you give to them where they say something good about you that gets you 1,100? And that's the process that I've taken forever. Welcome to Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their career through a strong personal brand. Rep Your Brand is hosted by Nick Bennett, one of LinkedIn's top voices on field marketing and personal branding. In each episode, Nick captures stories on how to overcome the challenges marketers face with growing their brand. So if you're a marketer looking to open doors and create opportunities that you never thought were possible, then listen in to get tangible tips and strategies to build your very own personal brand. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their careers through a strong personal brand. I'm Nick Bennett, and this podcast is brought to you by my friends at Motion. They're a done-for-you podcasting service for scrappy marketing teams in B2B tech. They're two of the nicest guys around, and they do world-class work. You can find them at motionagency.io. And I'm extremely excited to announce that our guest today is Chris Walker, CEO of Refine Labs and someone that I've personally followed for quite some time on LinkedIn. Chris, thanks for joining me today. Happy to be here, Nick. What are we going to cover today? Oh, man. Well, I'm guessing some are- brand stuff. Yeah, it's all about personal branding. And, you know, you're one of the experts when it when it comes to this. And most of our audience knows your background already. So let's kind of jump into it. And, and this is this is kind of an interesting question, because I've seen lots of people go both ways. Some people say your personal brand doesn't matter. What's your take? For the people that say that you're and I'm, I'm not even sure we should like potentially redefine personal brand everyone, whether or not you are doing one, you have a personal brand. It's the people that know you and what they think about you. And then the question is, how many people know you and what do they think about, right? So everyone has one. It's just about magnitude and how you get it done, right? Like people that are going to an event in Boston with 10 people for dinner as a networking event, that is a personal brand activity. It's just in a local setting with only 10 people, not over the internet. And then you could also do it in the internet in a ton of different places. And so the question about whether or not it matters is sort of irrelevant because everyone has one and it's clear, it clearly matters. Now, if you think about that and like what a, lot, what a lot of people would think about in the modern internet and how many people know you on the internet, I think that there's a lot of people that don't have the ambitions for it and, and could be as successful as they want to be potentially not doing it. However, by not doing it, just know that you are limiting your upside if you want to accomplish a lot of great things. I think that's the, the trade-off here. Yeah, it's 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 interesting too because I feel, I've seen this more on Twitter lately, but a lot of people are saying, you know, let's not call it personal brand, let's call it being a human being. And I don't yeah. know, it's, it's interesting because I, I do see it that way, but do you think that, like calling it personal brand versus being a human being is two different things or do they both align to what you think it is? The way that I operate, I think that they're the same, that they're the same thing. I think that some people can get confused and then create this fake human being that lives on the internet that doesn't exactly who they are in in pursuit of creating a personal brand that doesn't map to who they actually are. And so the key here is to have it be you because over time, if it's not you, one, it's going to get very hard to do. It's going to be very hard to put your pretend costume on every day for a sustained period of time, especially as it starts to work. And it needs to match how you are in real life. The reason that Nick has me on this podcast is because he's seen my content and also has talked to me as a human and recognized that I act the same way that I the, about the things that I talk about. And so if you're not, if there's a, it's just like having a company brand, if there are inconsistencies between what you say in your marketing and how you deliver your product or your experience, then you end up diminishing the brand. 
Yep, absolutely. Actually, I, I wrote a post today about authenticity, and that's basically what you just kind of hit on. And it's just, I'm starting to see it more and more where people kind of, you can, you can tell through their BS, basically, the, what they're posting. And it's just it, like, I want to connect to the person as a human being. And if like, you're not who you are in real life, then, you know, I don't, I don't want to deal with you at the end of the day. So, you know, do you remember the first time that you ever hit post on LinkedIn? What, like, what was it about? What were you feeling at that time? I mean, I've hit, I've hit posts on LinkedIn back in like the 2000. 13 maybe you know what i mean like i'm not sure when linkedin became a content platform but early on right and so if we kind of like exclude that and think about when i was like considering getting serious about it a lot of my early activity and i would i recommend this to people as well if you don't feel like you have things to post or you don't know what to say or those things then just follow people and that talk about the things that you like and comment and so a lot of the stuff came from comments initially for me which then gave me ideas got to me to understand what people are thinking, gave me feedback when people liked the comments, which then gave me both confidence as well as subject matter, subject matters that I know people that were in my network wanted to hear about from me. And so that's when I went and then I eventually hit post. And I think my first like post when I was quote unquote, taking it seriously, probably went for somewhere between three and seven likes. Pretty solid. And it that's the that's the way that it goes. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like, it just doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? It's, and so it was a slow burn. I was, I've, I've been doing this on other social platforms since 2013. And so I understand the dynamics. I understand that it doesn't happen overnight. I understand that if you do the right things, it can grow. And so that was the approach that I took here. And it just was a, a moment in time where both like the type of content, how I communicate and where the platform was at a maturity level all worked out in a place where it was the stars aligning for, for what I do. That, that definitely makes sense. And, and, you know, it's, I'm sure a lot of people reach out to you as well as they, you know, I, I get messages all the time and it's basically like, how can I, how can I hack my audience or how can I grow my audience overnight? And like, the one thing that I always tell people is like, if you, you can't, like, this is literally not, not, it's not possible. So like, what's your thoughts around like building an audience and like getting people to understand that it takes time to actually do that? My thought on this is that it's way less important about how to hack your audience size and way more important for the audience that you already have to like you. So not necessarily to like like you, but to get value out of the things that you're saying, right? And by focusing on your audience and delivering things that help them and not trying to sell them on every post or get things that you want, you want more followers. That's selfish, right? Reverse it. Figure out what are the thousand followers that you have? What can you give to them where they say something good about you that gets you 1,100? And that's the process that I've taken forever. Yes, there are things that you that there are like little things that you can do that improve the algorithm that make you have more visibility, but it is not a sustainable tactic. And in the end, good content wins, right? There's no hack to cons consistently doing this for a sustained period of time. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't agree more with you. And so it kind of brings me to my, my next piece. And it's like, how did you build from the first few things that you posted to the world when you did start to take it serious? Like, what did you learn kind of right from the start? So the things that I learned from the start are that there was way less good marketing advice out there than I thought. And I think for anyone listening, there's a there's a key insight in there. Everyone in any space is going to think there are already a million people posting about this. They all have good thoughts. Nobody cares what I say. I'm going to not post, which is you just making an excuse and potentially masking insecurity to, to default to not doing it, right? And so the first thing is that everyone, like a lot of people might care about what you have to say. And there's 
way less good content out there than you think, especially on less mature platforms like LinkedIn or podcast. And so if you can get over that hump, that was the first thing that I learned because I, when I was doing was in, a, in my comments game, I was thinking about not posting because Dave Gerhardt's out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's already these people that are, that are way more popular and know all the things that I don't know. And what I learned is that a majority of people don't know the things that I know, the things that I thought were commonplace actually are quite unique which was a huge unlock for me. And I think a lot of people would find that too if they went down this journey. After that, I started with text posts. I found it was the easiest for me to get started. I could almost take some of the things that I put in comments, expand on them in posts. And I talked about the fundamentals. Like my first post that got a lot of good traction was marketers should go talk to customers, which again, to lead back to my point earlier, I thought was so simple. And then you move into SaaS land and it's like not simple at all. It's like doesn't happen. And so some text posts, got validated audience started to started to grow see those things click saw saw the right signals the right types of people commenting and engaging on the posts another thing that i did was i started commenting on other people's posts that talk to the same talk to a similar audience like mine like people like dave and then i made a transition rather quickly to video the reason that i made a transition rather quickly to video is a couple things the main one being is that you can't fake it it also is the easiest way for me to communicate and so I went to video because you can't, there was people in the UK that would, or the Germany that would take my posts, copy them and post them in the UK or Germany from my text. And I was like, you're not going to be able to copy this one. And I, so I started, I started going in that direction, not because like, not that, not that that was the only reason, but it was actually a driver for me as my content started to pick up and people started to copy it. And so I moved to video. Additionally, not a lot of people use video. That's a huge, there's a huge upside if you know how to do it. And so that became part of the formula. It was actually live. We had a DSLR live filmed before we started using webcams in, in COVID. So we actually had a camera. I would go like go to a different setting. I would take calls, consulting calls or whatever and film them and, and go from there. And then we started moving into events. So we were doing live physical events that were high production film that then got chopped into content. And so that was like, those events were cool. This is more of like a marketing insight for everyone, not necessarily on personal branding, but we'd have events and it was a combination of an event, content creation, influencer marketing, digital content execution, all in one, right? We got people together. Justin Welsh joined me in LA. We had an event, 40 people came there. We weren't trying to sell to them, but what do you know? Six months later, when you're not asking for it, a couple of people come inbound and say they want to work with you. But we were doing it for the content. And so we created the content for an hour. We took questions from the audience who are the exact people that we, that are the people that we're creating content for. We answer the questions. We get high production film. We create a long form and we create a lot of short forms and we move, move it into a podcast. The short forms that I pass to Justin, if they're good quality for someone like that, then they, they might post them too because they probably don't do video. And so Justin started posting them, which created awareness to to me and, and my company, which is influencer marketing. And then we also had the content that we would distribute on our own channels, mine or the companies from podcasts or other standpoints. And so that was a, a really interesting kind of like next step. If you can see here, like the layers that get built over time in this process, I think are really interesting. We're not using different channels. We're just using them better. And I think a lot of people get stuck in doing the same thing and not innovating inside of channels, which then it becomes stale and people stop paying attention. And so we did those. And then we have, you know, because of the, the global situation in last March, we moved to a more remote format like this with a webcam, added like a really, went really hard into the podcast, which is now our best performing channel. Also continue to go through the LinkedIn stuff. And so that was kind of like the, that was the journey. 
And so when people like when people say, you know, who's the B2B marketer out there? And like, I literally tie that to, to yourself. And so some people say building a, a personal brand is all about adding value. And some people are afraid because they they don't want they don't think that they can add value. They say just be yourself. But it doesn't really offer someone tactical advice. Like, what does adding value actually mean to you if you're a marketer that's looking to get started? I can answer this question in a very authentic way because I've been trying to add value for like seven years, right? And at the beginning, I wasn't. If you just look objectively, I was not adding value, whether it was in my content, whether it was in the meeting that I went to with the medical director. And I was, you know, my first sentence was, I'm so grateful that we have this meeting. I'm here to provide value. And then you actually go through the meeting and you look back and you're like, wow, it was selfish. I wasn't providing any value. Right. And so people need to look objectively on that. But if you think about the definition, it's did somebody take this information and are they somehow better now that they have it? That's it. And so my KPIs on podcasts or other things like that are the messages that people send me saying they got a better job, saying that they tried it and it worked and they, you know, they got a promotion saying that, saying that they listen to my content and they know that I'm right, but they can't change it inside of their company. Like the the qualitative indicators in that are very easy for me to tease out knowing that it's helping a lot of people. Yeah. And so something that I like, you know, about a lot of your content is, you know, you're not, you're not afraid to go against the grain either. Like a lot of people just want to post the typical, like ABC, this is the way that you should do it, but you're not afraid to say like, no, this isn't the way that you do it. And like, what's, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's unique to you and what, you know, what has helped you with that piece of it? Because I feel like it gives so many other people advice and like tangible takeaways that like they're not typically thinking about. Yeah. So I just, I just study. Right. And even when I was at other, when I was an employee of companies, I was also studying, I was studying when the CEO made a decision to expand the sales team. Why did that decision happen? What happened when we raised series D? Why did those decisions happen? How was the money allocated? Who was in the decision? You know what I mean? Just like looking at how companies operate. And now I go in, I have the, the great pleasure of going into and working with a lot of different B2B SaaS organizations and, and experiencing what's going on with, with them. And so I have a very broad view of what's going on. And I've had this for a, quite, a, quite a substantial period of time now. And so when you go into 25 companies and it's broken in every single one of the companies, it's pretty easy to call it out. You know what I mean? Like I have, I have quite a bit of data and confidence to say this is it's not just like, it's not just like we did it this way and it didn't work. It's that 25 companies are doing it this way. They're all getting the same result. This shit doesn't work. Right. And so that's one, that's one piece of it. And then alternatively, I have a lot of confidence because I, I know how to fix it. I know how to do it better. And so having those two things together, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, Hey, all this stuff sucks. It's different to say, Hey, all this stuff sucks. You should try this instead. Despite, you know, the change that I recommend is incredibly hard. Most companies will never do it because it's too hard. It's too hard organizationally. It's too hard on a metric standpoint. It goes against what a lot of their investors are telling them to do. So a lot of companies won't do it. And that's perfectly fine. But that's, you know, I, I offer an alternative. It, it kind of that's actually a, a pretty good segue for me. So you have you have over fifty three thousand followers on LinkedIn. But I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I know I did my research, but I don't I don't think you're on Twitter at all. And so, what's your take on LinkedIn, Twitter, Clubhouse? Now I've been spending a bunch of time on Clubhouse personally. Like, how does a marketer balance all of these from a personal perspective? By making the best choice you can, right? And so, like. I'm on Twitter. I have 293 followers, right? So like the people that think people are popular and they're popular across all channels, that's not true, right? Like uh, that was a demonstrated proof. I put almost no effort into Twitter. 
The reason being is because Twitter is mature. It's very hard to break through, and it's not a place where my content style fits that medium. I like long form, long copy, video assets, a lot of business talk, and it's just like it's not a platform where the dynamics are in my in my favor, and so I just don't use it that much. It would have been a great channel for me to be on in two thousand eight, and so it's also about how early it is, right? And so we look at we look at those. I'm very very passionate and very bullish on LinkedIn and podcast right now. I think it's the two best opportunities. There are best performing channels, and then when there is another opportunity, we will sense that, and then we will go into that. But it also comes down to how much time in the day do you have. And does doing the seven other channels take away from the two channels that are working the best? And so I'm like a very much so a, a, a focused standpoint until there's a very, very clear direction. If Clubhouse had recording, I would be in there all day, but they don't, which is a huge gap, right? Like it's a huge gap for, for my content style. It's a ton of, it's a huge time investment to not have any asset to come out of that where all of the value is in the assets that get per, di- distributed later. And so Clubhouse is not one that, I mean, I know that it's popular. I know a lot of people are in there. Honestly, from a user standpoint, I haven't heard good feedback. Everyone Hmm. that I've talked to, I haven't gotten great feedback about the experience, that the features are missing, that the content isn't great, that the people aren't great, that some of the webinars are pushing people into like click funnel style shit. Like, so those are the things that I'm hearing. I listen to what the market is saying. And I look at the dynamics of the platform and I should, like I I should, if I'm just being honest, I should be in there and I should better understand it, but I'm not so far. And those are, those are the decisions that I make on a daily basis. You mean you're completely right. Like it's, I'm in all these rooms and it's usually so many people talking about LinkedIn and like, I don't know, everyone calls themselves an expert. And it's like, if you don't find the right room in the right, like, circle of people then it's you get no value you go down rabbit holes and it's just it's terrible you've you've kind of mentioned this a little bit and i wanted to you know kind of double down on it so what's your your source of inspiration for your linkedin content and i know it's kind of from a lot of your personal background of like what you've done but do you keep notes like where are your ideas stored what's your workflow look like things like that this content is ever flowing you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm doing things like this with you. I interact with customers. I take discovery calls with the market. I like, I have a very good sense about what's going on in this space just because of everything. So it gets stored in my brain. And now I've created a system where I'm able to communicate that and then be able to publish and distribute it without it completely disrupting my day, which is recording this, having a team that's doing post-production, having it ready to post, setting time aside on my calendar because it's the most important thing that I could do is to post those things and create the content every day. My job as a CEO is one, accountable to my team, two, accountable to my customers, three, producing content and distributing the narrative. And so those are the three things that I'm focused on. So you, you post almost daily. Uh, I, I read every single one of your posts, watch the videos. It, it's amazing. But what do you read as someone that is a content creator as well? How does a marketer get your attention if they want to? And what jumps out to you typically on like the LinkedIn feed? So I'm probably unique in this one, but I don't consume a lot of marketing focused content. The reason is because I learn through doing now. I'm over the over the reading. I'm over the videos. I am in a place where I learn by doing. And so I'm not looking at other people's experiments and the results that they got. I'm going to go and do it myself. And so I'm in that phase of my like kind of career in marketing where things are happening and I'm going to learn through that way. And I'm, you know what I mean? It's hard to avoid some of the signals. Like it's hard to avoid the really annoying promotional things about Clubhouse that happen on LinkedIn all day. And so I see those things. But when it came what it, when it came down to it, I would go and actually do it and then use my own insights and my own intuition to figure out what to do. 
And I think there was a second part to the question, but I might have forgot it. Yeah. So basically kind of if there was anything that does jump out to you on the feed. In terms of the the feed, I think some of the things that I'm noticing in my own behavior is that I'm leaning a lot more into creative. So pictures, videos, things that are not standard text posts are now standing out more for me even things that are irrelevant to marketing or sales. And so you can see content that's coming through that is fitness and wellness and, you know, charitable organizations and things like that, that are actually producing better overall content than most marketers are in terms, if you look at the create, if you look at the creative, right. And so I think those are some of the things that are standing out in the feed. It's probably why my video has been able to break through is because people, you know, you can only read so many 1200 character text posts in a row. And so those are some things that are standing out to me in terms of like things that I do consume. I consume, I read books that are on the fringe, so to speak. So it's not, it's not marketing, but it has, there are parallels into marketing, innovation, psychology, mindset, leadership you know, learning, development, some of those things are are where I stay, which then those concepts can then get applied to the things that I'm doing. So I know you don't, you know, consume a ton from like the marketing piece, but for a lot of people that are listening, most of their followings are obviously smaller, under 15,000, typically, usually a lot less. But like, is there anyone that's like jumped out to you recently that might not have a massive following that you say, wow, you know, this person creates amazing content or this person is is really relatable to what I post as a content creator as well? First, I just want to call out the idea that 15,000 followers is massive. The idea that 15,000 people opt into seeing your content is bigger than most marketing lists. It's bigger than the town that I grew up in, you know what I mean? And so like, I I don't want to discount. I think people are so caught up in these like massive numbers that the idea that 15,000 people actually follow you is amazing. The the idea that 50 people actually follow you is amazing. I think people really need to wrap their heads around that. And while I was making that point, I again forgot your question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I was just, is there anyone that like jumps out to oh, you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To be honest, I have, I, I, I look so little that nothing has hit my radar. And honestly, we're like in major growth mode right now. And so my ability to, to really look deeply on LinkedIn is low. I'm doing my best to post content and keep up with the comments that happen on my own posts. And that's about the extent of my activity for the past like eight weeks. Yep. Nice, nice. And that's, you know, it's actually interesting that you mentioned that because my approach, and obviously I don't have as many followers as you and get as many comments, but I try to comment on every single person that posts within whatever I post. Do you, like, how much time do you actually spend commenting back on others that post on your content? I think the most, the most important part for me is reading what the people say, not, I mean, I'm going to try and comment back. Oftentimes it's two emojis to acknowledge the comment. Sometimes it's a short statement. You know, those are the, the places where I am. But the fact that I'm even reading it, I think, is a big leap for a lot of people listening, right? I'm busy. (laughs) I'm busy, and I make time to read them because it's the insights that have gotten me here, and they will continue to get me there because I am closer to my customer than anybody else because I listen very closely to what they're saying in a lot of different places as well as understanding what, what their life is like. And so that's the reason that I do it, and I think any any marketer should be doing that. Absolutely. I agree. And so, I mean, you've mentioned the the growth that you've had. And so you've been hiring a ton of people. I love so many of the people that are on your team. You made some amazing hires recently. So 
Was a personal brand important to you for the people that you hired? If so, why? And like, do you empower them to grow their brand? I know you do because I see it all the time, but I'm interested in Mm -hmm. your thoughts around that. It's all intertwined, right? Company brand, my brand was the way to get it out because LinkedIn just works better through a person, through a human, right? If it was Facebook in 2012, I would have gone out under the brand. And so, yes, like it was important. I think the idea that we've been able to hire such top quality talent, if you go and actually look at the people, we have amazing people here coming from really strong companies and we do not go outbound to them. They come to us. And so... Those are the those are some of the things we never paid a, a minute on a dime on recruiting fees. We've been able to hire on time, and so those are some of the, the benefits of having it here. And when we do want to, when I do want to interview someone, I could send them a message because we do do this sometimes just to understand and learn. A hundred percent of the time, I get the meeting, and so like as long as it's not completely cold, they've never heard of me. Like we're actually targeting people in my network that in the network is large, but in the network that fit the job titles, you can whittle it down to like 2000 people. And for anyone that's a CEO that's struggling with recruiting, this is the game. Not paying $40,000 for a recruiter to, to spam people until they find someone that you like. Like the people that we bring in are people that are very aligned to the things that we believe in because we communicate them. We have a huge filter up front for people that don't belong here. And which, which by making that choice attracts people that do belong here. And so it's been a massive, a massive driver for us. I know other people, Casey Graham from what's that company called? Uh, Yeah. From Gravy's been able to recruit hundreds of people this way with no recruiter fees on LinkedIn. And so there's a huge benefit there, but it's the whole system working together. It's communicating with the market, gets you customers. It gets you interested employees. It gets you market research. It's just like it's being close to, to your customers in your market. Totally agree with you there. I, I wanted to, to get your thoughts on, on something. DMs and pitches, are, they're getting worse. I mean, it, it, the automation is killing some of the engagement, if not most mm-hmm. of the engagement. What could LinkedIn do better to change the platform? And like, what would you prefer? Because I'm sure you get tons of DMs and kind of pitches every day. Mm-hmm. So first, I want people to think about what the behavior is of the people that receive these messages. I'll tell you what my behavior is. When I receive this message, whether it's if whether it's an in-mail or you're connected to me, the first thing, if it's a cold pitch and I've never heard of you, I'm going to go to your profile. I'm going to see that it's irrelevant. And I'm going to hit remove connection. And then you've lost your chance to ever try and sell to me later on that platform, which you might be okay with, to be honest, because you probably hired a virtual assistant to send spam through Sales Navigator, so you might not care. Just know that you are burning bridges left and right in order to get that one meeting that doesn't become a customer, right? And oddly enough, the behavior of mine in email is the same thing. When I receive a cold email, I go right into it and I hit report spam and unsubscribe. That behavior is going to happen more. And so people need to need to think about that. People are not interested in receiving your cold spam. They have the information on their own. They will get it when they want they're a lot more open to receiving it if they recognize the name of where it's coming from. The amount of messages that I respond to, not often pitches, but like people asking me questions, way more likely to respond when I know that person's name. They've been to one of my one of our events, they've commented on my posts, they you know what I mean? There's a lot of reasons how you how I could be aware of you. They've posted good content that I've seen in the feed, all those different things. And so those are the the implications in the status. Like I'm the one that's saying it. Everyone's thinking that. If people aren't doing it, they'll be doing that type of stuff soon, right? The things that LinkedIn needs to do is start to shut that stuff down. Like I think that there is a a reasonable 
expectation on automation that your account gets shut down. And because if they do not start to prevent this stuff, I already see people with like a blanket away messages that they don't monitor their inbox on LinkedIn because they get too much spam. It's going to be a real problem for them. And so the, 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 the interesting place that they're in is that they have this platform with a ton of attention and they're also selling sales navigator, which is the way to do this. Right. And so there's, they, they are, and it happens with a lot of platforms where you have to end up catering to either your, the places where you get revenue or your audience. And oftentimes they're directly in conflict. And so this is something that LinkedIn's going to really need to figure out. I think their ad products coming a long way. I do think it's, it's still, um, expensive, but the targeting is good. I think that there's some good use cases, especially for more mid market enterprise sales led deals. And so I think the ad product is good. I think that the extension products need some work, like their recruiting product has gotten worse and worse since I've been using it. And so those are those are some of the things that I've been thinking about when I look at the platform. But the the message thing is probably the 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 messaging and plagiarism are probably the two things they need to figure out the most. Yeah, I'm with you. It's their their inbox system is is terrible, but. We'll, we'll see what happens for the marketer that's never posted a single thing on LinkedIn, because there's lots of people that just keep scrolling and scrolling and like they're just consuming, mm-hmm. but they're not actually posting. Like, what would you suggest they post about for the first time? Like, just to just to get going. Whatever happened in your day. And so it was really interesting. The first couple, it wasn't the first couple, but it was it was pretty early into the journey is basically I would have, whether it was discovery calls or client calls, and the client would present an objection to something that I knew was true, they just didn't understand. And in and I, for whatever reason, couldn't get the message across that way, that I would actually go back and then the next day I would readdress that object, objection in a post as if I had enough time to thoughtfully craft my answer. I basically had a second shot of explaining it. And you'd actually be amazed how many discovery calls don't go good. And then you do that and that person sees it and they email you the next day. And so those are, those are some things like you go through, you're trying to work on whatever, trying to figure out how to, you know, what software to use for your your virtual event that's coming up. Like talking through how you decided about those things would be interesting. Talking about how bad one of the um, experiences from the sales motion at one of those companies would be very interesting. When, you know, I love the, I, I love the idea of, prescribing in terms of software buying processes it's a huge problem in SaaS right now is like i was looking for virtual event software i looked at three vendors they were vendor a vendor b and vendor c vendor a followed up in six minutes vendor and they used a calendar you know a calendar link vendor c called me with an sdr vendor b never followed up and then we went down here and so like i think those types of stories are interesting and so at the beginning, I wouldn't be so focused on what are you going to say. I would just start doing it. Absolutely, you got you got I me. Mean, you got to start somewhere. It's like we all we all started from from nothing. It's like that's the only way that you can start to build up your audience. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's important for a lot of people to know that. And the e- the easiest way is to just tell tell stories about the things that you're doing. Cool. So so I think we're coming up on time, but I wanted to close with a few final questions here because I think it's important for, for people to understand. So what's your favorite resource? Could be online, could be offline that you rely on to kind of keep your brand fresh, keep your mind fresh, and just kind of be the best person that you can be. The right answer here is customers. And then in addition to customers, I do a live Zoom, sometimes multiple times a week with, with you know, essentially customers that, that are asking me questions, which then keep me sharp. So it, ch- it challenges me to think on the fly, to come up with answers, to to learn new things, to, to 
understand what people are trying to ask and then communicate back in a way that that makes sense and resonates to them those are the two things that that keep me sharp amazing as well as as well as actually doing the work and so right a lot of ceos at a 15 person company wouldn't be doing the work anymore i work on two of our most important customers i run demand generation for them I build Facebook ads. I'm inside of Salesforce on a daily basis. I'm looking at Google Analytics, and that's why the content's relevant because I'm staying sharp. Exactly. Yeah. No. I mean, you couldn't have you couldn't have said it better. And I think that's important for people to know that, like, you know, you're not afraid to roll up your sleeves at the end of the day. And lots of other leaders don't do that, and it definitely doesn't go unnoticed. So, do you have any final parting words for anyone that wants to start creating their personal brand? First, I want to cover what you said before, because in order to be a good leader, you need to demonstrate those actions, especially if you're in something like demand gen where the things are changing quite quickly. You don't get the insights to drive the strategy if you, unless you're in it. And a lot of the strategy gets built through execution, not the other way around. And so I want people to to really think about that. I've been talking about the idea of the VP of sales telling their 60 SDRs to follow up with the ebook downloads and or make cold calls and the VP of sales hasn't made a cold call in 25 years. That there's there's a real company out there that has a VP of sales that fits that profile, which is sad. Cuz yeah, they don't I mean, have empathy for their team and they then they they're so far away from the work that they don't realize how bad it works now. So Let's get back to your question. It was yeah. about, do I have any final words on content creation? It would just, yeah, like where do, where do people want to start? Or like how, you know, what would you recommend to anyone? So when I did it, the the place that I started was comments and then posting. And then right after I started posting, this was a huge unlock for me, is I started taking free consulting calls. People thought, I mean, I basically was, but I would take consulting calls for companies that I just wouldn't work with, you know what I mean, for whatever reason. And I took the consulting calls and then I filmed my side as a way to create content based on questions that the market is actually asking. So a lot of people create content based on what they think people want to hear or subconsciously what they want people to hear versus what people actually want to hear. And the way that you get to how people actually want to hear is you get questions from them that you know how to answer. And so as quickly as possible, being able to get the audience involved in the topics that you create about are, is incredibly important and was a huge unlock for me. That's, That's what cool. I got. I, I love it. I love it. So there you have it. And lastly, Chris, you know, where can go, people go to learn more about yourself as well as Refine Labs? Yeah, yeah. So LinkedIn, Chris Walker, common name, but it should be easy to find me, CEO of Refine Labs. And then I think more importantly, the, uh, the podcast has been blowing up recently. Tons of people really enjoying it. It's called The State of Demand Gen. We are close to 100 episodes. So for someone that wants to learn Demand Gen, you can start from the beginning. They are deep, detailed episodes with a lot of tactical advice and a lot of people learning stuff. So I would encourage you to check that out on Apple or Spotify. It's called State of Demand Gen. Super cool. Really appreciate it. Chris, thank you again. I appreciate you spending some time with us today. It was great having you on Rep Your Brand. Happy to be here, Nick. Thanks for having me, man. Fun to share some of these ideas. I don't talk about it enough. Thank you for listening to Rep Your Brand. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you learned something new today, it'd be great if you left us a review. We'll catch you next time.